Welcome to FOS. If this is your first time joining us, my name is Glenn, and we are a community creating space for everyone to find hope, beauty, and purpose in the story of Jesus. The hope and beauty we discover is shaped by the stories we tell and then retell. Ultimately, these stories become the story that we live out of and into, thus creating meaning out of our events. Shared stories hold the power to shape and to reshape us because we are storytelling animals, and by entering ourselves into the stories, we create a way to have meaning. In our own culture, the movement towards freedom has been told and retold. Often this movement towards freedom is the story of the underdog warring against the oppressor. The story remains the same because every time the rebel needs an empire to fight, it is only the names which differ. So whether we're talking about Joshua sacking Jericho, the Spartacus rebellion against Rome, the US war for independence, the French Revolution, or coming into pop culture, Star Wars, the Hunger Games, which has a rise against, set against the narrative of the Spartacus revolt, or even Drake's song, I'm Upset. We have this notion that the right to power gives us the opportunity for freedom and hope. As Drake so eloquently said, I'm upset, half a million dollars on my head I can't accept. Least it makes me feel like someone's trying their best. Wanna waste a half a million, be my guest. Make me want to buy a vest and a tech. From Jericho to Drake, we witness the repeated narrative. The enemy's life is the price of my freedom. And conflict is always provoked by that enemy and supported by our storytelling. You've made me wanna buy a vest and a tech are the modern equivalent to the Bible's saying, let's get our sword and shields. This is where we will step into the story of Matthew. Just after Jesus has had his triumphal entry, flip the tables in the temple, he turns to the rulers who want to get their swords and shields, their vest and tech, and tells a parable. Now remember, Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem marks the beginning of an apocalyptic unveiling. Before we get distracted by zombies, The Walking Dead, and bad dystopian 80s movies, let's define apocalypse a little bit in scripture. The apocalypse comes from a word meaning to reveal. It was used by Jewish writers to talk about the story behind the story, the story underneath the story that allows the obvious story we talk about to go forward, much like Y2K did for my small hometown. Because I was raised in the small town in the middle of nowhere in Northern California. When Y2K came, no one knew what was gonna happen at midnight. But in the stories that we rehearsed often, we talked about the Second Amendment, the right to guns, and the wisdom of personal protection. We stocked about thousands of rounds of ammunition and canned foods. We built fallout shelters to be prepared for the eventual end where our town might even have to fight the neighboring towns. Because our story was driven by a notion of fear, where we would say that we couldn't trust our neighbors because true peace, lasting peace, can only be achieved through the threat of violence against those who could oppose us. Jesus, as an apocalyptic actor, reveals their controlling narrative, which inspires their actions. We would have the power to take back the kingdom if it wasn't for them those I dislike, those I would not include. Jesus tells a story filled with their sacred symbols, the vineyard, sons, and inheritance. Starting to where he said, a certain man, 
He's a landowner and he's planted a vineyard and then he gives his vineyard to tenants. Now harvest time had come and he said, I need to collect my portion of the harvest. So he sends his slaves, but they beat, kill and stone the slaves. Finally, it comes to a point they said, I'll send my son because my son they will respect. And they see the son coming and say, this is our chance. We will kill the son, then the inheritance will be ours. And now as we hear the story, we want to note that when we hear son or son of God, sometimes our mind jumps to divinity. Just like when we hear apocalypse, sometimes we jump to bad 80s movies. But for this time period, son or son of God alludes to the rightful king. It highlights in this parable that it's a story about the theopolitical, how they can achieve the promised end of the kingdom. And Jesus says, for this reason I tell you, that the kingdom of God will be taken from you. Because you think that the kingdom will come by killing the slave and the prophets that came before me. Because you think you can coercively delimit who is involved and who is present, those who do not look or sound like you. Because you strive after control, exclusion, and power, which makes you taste like the Romans. Because the whole line was, for this reason I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken from you and will be given to a people who produce its fruits. And now we're gonna pull back and we're gonna take a look at the wider narrative of Jesus's entry into Jerusalem. In Matthew 21, as he comes in, it said, it is written, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of revolutionaries. Now often you might hear it or read it translated as robbers, but Liste is, is noted to be a robber, but in the same way that Robin Hood was a robber. Not just someone who tries to take your money, but it's a person who's trying to fund their campaign to overthrow a ruthless king. Someone who's trying to create war. So it's robbing because we say the political system must change. So they steal funds to be able to give the machines of war the ability to survive. Jumping to the night before the execution, the temple and the rulers can only imagine one story and they act accordingly. A large crowd comes towards Jesus, armed with swords and clubs. One of the ones with Jesus draws his sword, chopping off the ear of the servant of the high priest. Jesus demands, put your sword back in its place, for all those who take hold of the sword will die by the sword. You think that I cannot call on my father for 12 legions of angels right now. At that moment, Jesus turned to the crowd that have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me like you would a revolutionary? This story so shaped the imagination that you must have swords, you must have the right to power, that Jesus had to say, did you not know I have an army? But that's not how this story will end. But the pernicious tale had affected everyone's imagination. Even Jesus' own disciples could not imagine a different ending for themselves. But sometimes, Satire helps us understand a little better than something that is a dramatic reenactment. So we want to show you a clip of the hoped-for rebellion that Peter had in mind. Get ready for the ultimate historical revenge fantasy. Guess who's back? Jesus uncrossed. He's risen from the dead. Did you miss me? Get him! 
and he's preaching anything but forgiveness. He may be wearing sandals, but he can still kick ass. Jesus H. Christ! The H is silent. With Brad Pitt as St. Peter. I need me, 11 apostles. We're gonna be doing one thing and one thing only. Killing Romans. Roman will be disgusted by us. Roman will talk about us. And the Roman will fear us. Well, Jackson as Judas Iscariot. Jesus, oh, chill, man, chill. When you get to heaven, say hi to my dad. a less violent passion of the Christ. No more Mr. Nice Jesus. We see that this hoped for rebellion, the one that comes back and kind of destroys everyone, Rome is scared and the people are shook, went so far that it even goes outside of those standing next to Jesus in the garden and gets put into the mouth of those who are crucified alongside him. Because after Jesus is crucified, it said two revolutionaries were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. While hanging there, close to death, they turn and speak abusively to him. Joining in with the sneers that said, maybe Elijah will come save him. If he's the true king of Israel, what's he going to do? Come off the cross. The story is so absolute, the need for war so strong, a world without it is unimaginable. Even the failed revolutionaries take their moment from death to mock the one who said the kingdom could arrive without coercion, with the heretics, the Romans, and Gentiles living together in peace. Their story needed the all-consuming violence of God to show up against their enemies and was confronted by the reality of the God who consumes all of our violence upon the cross. The stage is set for the reveal, that moment that we get to see all these narratives coming together, the violent revolutionary saying we can bring the kingdom, Jesus flipping the table and saying you guys do not understand, and they get to have this moment, this turn in Matthew 27 that we see the kingdom taken away. In Matthew 27, 16, it said, at that time they had in custody a famous prisoner named Jesus Barabbas, Pilate said to them, the crowd gathered, who do you want me to release to you? Jesus Barabbas or Jesus called Christ? Now this is a very important thing that Matthew's trying to get you to focus on because in every other gospel, it just says Barabbas and Jesus. In Matthew, it gives the full name Jesus Barabbas so that you can see what your choice is. The great reveal was seen in the choices of the Jesus. Do you want war? Do you want to force people to submit to your reading of scripture, to your ideology? Do you choose the famous revolutionary or the king you'd hoped for? Matthew 27, 25 has the reply and it says of all the people, let his blood be on us and our children. They lose the kingdom of heaven because they need vengeance. They lose the kingdom of heaven because the call of war is too sweet. Yet Matthew's a clever author, and he doesn't leave them in their hopelessness. Matthew quoted Zechariah 9.9 9 as Jesus came in the triumphal entry. 
where it says that he rode on a colt and a donkey. He has that ludicrous image of him almost doing the Van Damme splits over two beasts coming into the city so that you could hear a clear echo from Zechariah and the hope for end. And then at this point, when he comes into the moment of execution, that story picks up again. The execution picks up the hope of the coming king by saying the blood upon us, because God says, I will remove from the chariots of war from Ephraim and the war horse for Jerusalem. I'm going to make peace. There's no reason to have an army anymore. There's no room for a liste. Because the king will announce peace to all nations because of our covenant secured with blood. But was what was supposed to be their blood turned to his own. So now we've walked through the text and in different ways they've blended together to try to give this reveal, this moment that we see our choices between Jesus and Jesus, between the Christ and the revolutionary. And now we want to have a moment that it confronts our story that we can riff from the text with the God who consumes all violence upon the cross. We get to ask the question, are we going to live out of the predictable story of lack, driven by fear that there will not be enough? Not enough space for each other, not enough resources to meet our needs, not enough peace to keep us safe. Do we continue the old story which claims the kingdom of God would be here if you would just leave? So the first point of hope we see here is Peter holds the promise of change and a warning because the new story will bring you into conflict with yourself. In the garden, Peter was the one who drew his sword. He knew only the story of revolution. And this meant any who were not on his side, any who were not backing his king, were threatening enemies. His story brought him to Jesus, but it couldn't bring him into the new kingdom. He needed a new way to move forward. This same man, the impulsive one who grabs weapons, and again, think of the story. Jesus said, do I not have 12, 000, or 12 legions, 12,000 soldiers I can call? So the ludicrous nature of the man jumping with the sword in front of him saying, I don't care about the legions behind you, I will use violence to save you, is the one who becomes a cornerstone in the new tradition, going as far as welcoming a Roman soldier, a centurion, into the faith family in Acts 10. What stories are you repeating in your marriage, your work, your relationships, that require someone to fight against you? They may, like Peter, feel natural and true, but Jesus offers us a way to rewrite their endings if we can let go of power and coercion in order to brace an end we couldn't see coming. The promise of change in Peter becomes a threat to our traditions. They couldn't see the new way. It was a way towards corruption. Give us Barabbas, they cried, Christ's blood be on us. Like these leaders, we miss the kingdom because we desire a culture war over the kingdom of vulnerable presence. Yet the cry of the blood upon us and our children still offers hope. And the hope rests that the witness of Jesus can affect them. The hope rests in a new reading that can threaten the standard reading. It shakes the way they've understood the text. So as for Phos, we do not strive to stand against. We stand with. Even as our reading is rejected, because the kingdom of heaven is a world that no longer has room for the liste, 
the violent revolutionary or the empire to shape our imaginations. Our job and our hope is to show up like Jesus, vulnerable before a tradition which rejects our reading and a political system that is completely apathetic to our cause. We live out a new story, one where our old narratives do not dictate our future, one where we learn that the kingdom is already here with the Romans, not in spite of them, with the people we'd want outside our communities, not in their absence. But it'll always start with us individually. Which Jesus do you choose, Barabbas or Christ? Coercion or presence? Power or inclusion? It'll take time to reflect because the stories we tell ourselves, the one where it is always the other person, are so natural and right to us. Our answers to which Jesus can only be witnessed by how we begin to hold space in our close relationships, our faith community, and our neighborhood. Is your story one of lack, starvation, and limited space, or have you discovered that the kingdom of heaven is realized as we trust there will always be room for more people at the table, people who think, look, and act nothing like me? <laughs>